We are so thankful to have you here this morning and want to do a few announcements before we get started. Um, This Tuesday begins our soccer season officially um, with registration and evaluation night. So we will have soccer registration and evaluations this Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Anybody ages 3 through 8th grade can play um, in our soccer league. And so we're going to be right down here beside the playground uh, for registration and evaluations. If you know of anybody who'd want to play, they can sign up online or they can just show up on Tuesday and we have registration available then. Um, So we just want to make you guys aware of that. And also anybody who's interested in volunteering for soccer, we always need extra help. It's one of our biggest outreach ministries that we have. I think we already have 24 kids signed up right now for soccer. Um, So we'd love to have some more Uh, help if anybody's interested in a place that they can serve. Um, It's usually only a couple hours a week, so we'd love to have you. If you have any questions about any of that, you can ask me, um, and I will point you in the right direction. Next Sunday, we have Lord's Supper during morning worship and conference and deacons meeting um, next Sunday evening. Um, Today, we are excited to have two baptisms um, happening during our service time, so we're glad that you're here to celebrate those. And final announcement is homecoming for Glenlock Baptist Church is September 10th. So if you know of anybody who's no longer here but used to attend, let them know that during our morning worship service we will celebrate homecoming on Sunday, September 10th with a meal to follow. So all of those great things that are happening in the life of our church. Um, One more thing is Bill Grissett, who's about to come read our call to worship, he has cards available. If you know of anybody who needs any help with counseling, and he can tell you more about this if you talk to him individual, he's a licensed counselor, um, and we would like to just let you all know that he's available for that, and he has those cards available on the back desk. So anybody you may know who is interested in biblical, good, licensed counseling, you can see Bill. Um, He's going to read our call to worship. Thanks, Bryson. I'm going to be reading from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 this morning. And uh, this is one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. Paul is writing about the character of Jesus, and he's kind of showing us an example of what we are to live by. And one of the things that, that really fascinates me is if you read commentaries about this particular passage, they'll tell you that the portion of this Paul is quoting and most commentators think that, the quote, that, that what he's quoting was either an early church creed or a hymnal or a hymn from the early church. And they think it was probably from the first few years after Jesus died and rose again. So really early in Christianity. And I love this passage. So I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was from in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. Uh, we just thank you so much for, for these two precious kids that are coming forward today to be baptized, God. We just pray that you would help us as a, a body of believers to help um, those families uh, raise these kids uh, up in the knowledge of you, Father. We pray for the families, God, and we know this is a, a special day, a spiritual day, Father. And uh, Father, we just thank you for, for that, this happening in our church. Pray that you would be with Neil as he preaches, Catherine as she leads music, God, for, for Bryce and for all our staff, God. We just pray a special blessing on them. And Father, we, uh, we just love you, we thank you, and uh, just ask this in your most holy name, amen. Good morning. Um, Y'all had great worship last week when I was absent. We listened to it on the way home from the beach, and the youth did so good. And I could hear y'all singing, too, so we'll keep that up this morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship this morning with singing, Lord, Be Glorified. Redeemer, but we're going to play a little game, and it's that this is set to a Christmas song that me and Miss Becky couldn't, Miss Joyce couldn't remember which Christmas song it is. So, as we sing it, you're going to know the tune, and you're going to be used to singing Every Nation, but I can't figure out what Christmas song it is, so maybe one of you can as we sing it, but we're going to sing I Will Sing of My Redeemer.
I know what the Christmas song is? What is it, Abby? Ah, oh, come thou long expected Jesus. That's kind of cool if you think about the words we just sang. I'm going to uh, point your attention to the baptism now. It's always a joy uh, to have baptisms in our services. And so today we have two young people who will be baptized. They're both very special, uh, Luke Reeves and Lila Hersey. In fact, my wheels are spinning mentally, which is always dangerous. But uh, these children and their, their mothers grew up in this church. So generations have attended Glenlock for a long time. And so it's extra special to see these two young people come and profess their faith in Christ. So Let's pray, and then I'll, uh, I'll introduce the individuals to you. Father, thank you so much this morning for your love and grace, which allows us to assemble, which allows us to gather. But most of all, Father, for the gospel, for you have given us baptism as, a, as, a, as an ordinance, as a way to celebrate our entry into Christ and the church and faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so... As Luke and Lila have come to profess their faith, their union with Christ, their trust in Christ, Lord, we are grateful uh, to, to celebrate salvation this morning in the gift of Jesus and their receiving of that gift. Father, may all go well to the glory of your name, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, Luke, if you'll come. All right, this summer at camp, Luke was in my small group, and we had questions and answers, and long story short, by the end of the week, uh, Luke had received Christ as his Savior. So, Luke, I'm grateful that you were in my small group this summer, and I'm grateful that you took off your Alabama shirt and put on your Glenlock shirt. That's another thing I'm grateful for. But let me do this. If you're here in Luke's family to support him today in his baptism, please stand. All right, see, I knew it would be a lot. I would never call them all by name. So, all right, you may be seated. Thank you. Luke Reeves, upon your profession of faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior in, in, and in obedience to his command, it is now my joy and our joy, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, this is Lila Hersey. A lot of a lot of you not only know her but are related to her. So if you're in her family today, would you stand to show your support of Lila? Some of the same people. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You've also got a spiritual family here supporting you as well. All right, you may be seated. Likewise, Lila, for some time we've talked with her, Bryce and I, about salvation and accepting Christ, and so uh, this summer, Lila uh, did receive Christ as her Savior and now uh, comes to profess her faith in Jesus publicly through baptism. So, Lila Hersey, upon your profession of faith and in obedience to his command, it is now my joy and our joy to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.
you'll stand, we're going to sing it as well with my soul. Grow. 
Will you pray with me this morning? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we started our um, service this morning with just a prayer that you would be glorified in our lives and in our homes, God. And Lord, um, I just pray that you help us recognize all the things in our life that we need to sing and praise you for, God, because you are our Redeemer, God. And for many of us, that may mean that we need to find ourselves on our knees, God. Because, Lord, as Stephanie beautifully saying, Lord, there's strength and power when we're on our knees, God. And you're a God who wants to hear from us, who longs to hear from us, and cares about every little thing we tell you, whether big or small or in between. So, Lord, this morning, God, may we lay it um, on the altar and leave it to you, God, um, and just fall to our knees, God, so that we can truly, with assurance and faith, say it's well with our soul, God. Lord, there's um, so much going on in the world around me. And, and around us, God, Lord, um, you're in control of it all, God. Hurt, pain, sickness, trials, tribulation, celebrations, baptisms, hope, salvation. Lord, you are behind everything. So this morning, may we just remember to honor and glorify you. Speak clearly to us through Pastor Neil as we open up your book of Isaiah this morning, God. And may you just be honored and glorified in all that we do. We love you and praise you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed in the back for Children's Church. As the children leave, let's turn to Isaiah 14 is our chapter in Isaiah today, verses 1 through 27. If you're just joining us for our Isaiah series, I see it like, like this. We are, we are hitting the mountain peaks of the book of Isaiah, or at least what I'm calling the mountain peaks. If you read Isaiah and preach through Isaiah, you may choose different chapters, but I'm the guy behind the pulpit, so I get to choose the chapters that we're in. And so today, the mountain peak that we're on is, is Isaiah 14. And when you're traveling and you reach the top, there are certain things that you observe. Like if you travel to some of the places in North Georgia, they have observation towers. Then they have those little things that you can, you know, put your eyes up close to. They look like they were built in 1945. Put your quarter in, it never works. And so you say to yourself, I'll just observe with what I can see. You know, that type of thing. So as we work through Isaiah 14, this is a long chapter. Surprise, surprise. But I really want you to follow and pay attention because the trajectory of this chapter is important in several ways in itself and then how it relates to the whole Bible is important. And I'm not going to have the time or not going to take the time to be real specific on some of this because I do want us to get the overview and you're like, no, you're, you're taking the time. We know you. You're going to, okay, we'll see. All right, Isaiah chapter 14. We'll see how it unfolds. I don't know. Now, what's happened at the end of 13 is that God has judged 
or promised to judge the Babylonians. And I mean, he has just laid waste to the powerful Babylonians. Or at least he promises that what looked like a wonderful, powerful empire now looks like the local county landfill. There's all these unclean animals running around the place. Jackals and hyenas. And read it. It's very interesting. Ostriches, if I'm saying that correctly. Desert creatures. And so it seems like a complete wasteland. And Isaiah periodically does this. He shows you devastation and judgment. And then he brings you back into the light. It's like, we need some air here. And then he brings you back into an area in which you can actually breathe again. And as I prepared this, I kept thinking, and it's something I've said before, and you need to remember it, and I do too. When in darkness, remember what you've seen in the light. When you go through a time of, of darkness or devastation, remember what you saw in the light. So here we have more light. So Isaiah 14, 1, let's get to the text. Then he says, when the Lord, not if, not if, but when the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. And again, choose Israel and settle them. Settle them in their own land. Then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of of Jacob. Some of your versions say they, they'll cling to it. Isn't that a good image? Man, I, I love Isaiah's language. I love his, his phrases, his words, his poetry. Moving on, verse 2. And the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place. The house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord, as male servants and female servants. And they will take their captors captive. And will rule over their oppressors. This is a revolution. This is a great reversal. And it's God who will do it. It's God alone who can do it. And then in verse 3, it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest. There it is again, man. We're, we're back to resting, which is good. It will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved. That you will take up this taunt, taunt song, victory song, proverb, poem, against the king of Babylon. This powerful, majestic leader. But you're going to sing a taunt song against him. This is poetic justice put to song. And the song begins, if you notice in your Bible, if it's like mine, there's, a, there's an insert. The margins are, are squeezed in a little bit so that now you can see, oh, this is the part where they sing the song. And this is what the song says over this king of Babylon who has been utterly defeated. A royal collapse. How the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked 
the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest, is quiet, and they break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you, the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Sheol from beneath. This is the underworld. Okay, pay attention. Verse 9 is a shift. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you. To meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead. All the leaders of the earth. So these dead earthly leaders say to themselves, Welcome to the place of the dead. That's interesting, isn't it? It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and they will say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You become like us. Oh, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Then this is gross, okay? This is a gross part of the Bible. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you. And worms are your covering. So the king of Babylon has gone from music to maggots. Hey, I'm just preaching Isaiah's sermon. All right, that's what I'm called. I'm preaching what Isaiah has preached to them and is preaching to you and me. Then look at verse 12, a new shift. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly. In the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Verse 15, nevertheless, you will. All right, let's just point out as we pass by. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, you will. Nevertheless, you will. You will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and they will ponder over you and say, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? They're shaking their heads. The mighty have fallen. Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness, overthrew cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you, you've been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. You will not be united with them in burial because you've ruined your country. You've slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned forever. Prepare his 
for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. And in verse 22, if you're still with me, I think that's where the song ends and then God begins to declare more of what he is going to do. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name and survivors, offspring and posterity, declares the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog, swamps of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened, and just as I have planned, so it will stand to break Assyria in my land. I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. God's global plan, his universal plan. Plan. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned. And who can frustrate it? Who can frustrate the plans of God? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Who could frustrate God's plans? Well, the answer is no one. Who could turn back God's hand? Well, the answer, of course, is no one. We'll stop there. Father, we are humble and grateful today to gather again to celebrate salvation and baptism. And now to hear from your word the importance of trusting and clinging to you and you alone. Help us not only to understand what took place then and what was promised then. Help us to apply it now as we walk out into our daily lives and routines, and help us to see, Father, that from this particular observation point, there's more to come. There's a future kingdom that is yet to be, in which there will be no more rebellion, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. Help us to see the light that is given here for what it is, a very hope-empowering truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I've organized our sermon this morning around five observations, so hang on and we'll walk through the text. And I've organized it so that I can preach it better and so that you can hear it better, so that all of us can walk out of here understanding a little more about Isaiah 14. Now, in the first section, in verses 1 through 3, as I read through this, I hope you stayed on the line with me. But number one, we have in this first section, I observed in my study, a hopeful consideration. And there's hope here. There's hope for us to wait and hope for us to consider. And all the hope is in God. And there are some really heavy concepts that you and I need that if you read it too fast, you'll miss it. But if you, if you sink your teeth into it a little bit, you'll catch. God is compassionate. His mercy is what drives this whole story that is life. And it's compassion and mercy that leads him to say, 
and I will. There is coming a day. Well, what makes that day possible? What makes that day uh, going to be? It is, it is the compassion of God. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. His compassions, they fail not. So Isaiah 14 begins with the love of God coming to us. Not only that, He chooses us. He adopts His people. Jesus said very clearly, you do not choose me, but I chose you that you would go and bear fruit. Now, we love God, but we love God and know God and trust God simply because he first loved us. The Lord says, I will have compassion on Jacob. I will choose Israel. Look at the third thing. I will settle them. Settle them. Put them in a settling place, a place of contentment, a place of rest. You know what it's like to be rattled and unsettled? Man, here's the ultimate settling. Not only that, he multiplies. He unites and draws people. People begin to come into God's people. Strangers from the outside say, I want what they have. I want to belong there. This looks back to what we were looking at before. People from the north and the south and the east and the west, the four corners of the world are saying, I want to be with God and his people. There's a multiplication here. Then he says, I'll give you rest, calm, contentment, relief from torment and terror and pressure. I'll cue my grandmother. Let's rest a minute. Let's rest a minute. Hey, this is eternal rest. He blesses his people with an inheritance. He empowers them and exalts them with responsibility, and he gives them freedom and liberation from all oppression, which ultimately means the oppression of sin, the oppression of death, the oppression of evil, the oppression of the curse, and the oppression of the fall. Verse 3, it will be in that day. The Lord will give it to you. What a gift. They don't deserve this. They haven't earned this. It is God's grace Becoming a reality. This is, number one, a hopeful consideration and what a day that will be. We live in the tension between the already and the not yet. These prophecies were fulfilled in reality along the way, but these all point to something much bigger and, and greater and, and more eternal uh, in, in, in eternity to come. Number two. We have a happy celebration. <laughs> now, if you paid attention to what I was saying the first trip through this text, this is basically a taunt song, a poem in which someone has lost and someone has won. And I've watched so much sporting activity in, in, in my lifetime, and I still hope to watch more. The only thing I could think of was, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey. What? Goodbye, right? This is a taunt song that the winners are taunting the loser. The loser is the king of Babylon. Now, let me say this. Babylonianism, Babylon, and the king of Babylon represents everything that is opposed to God. It represents pride, it represents independence, it represents control, it represents human and secular power. It basically represents life 
trying to be lived apart from God. And I don't know how many stories we need to read like this in the Bible, and I don't know how many stories we need to read and watch of this out in real life, but the proud ones are always brought low, and the low ones are always brought up. It's just the way God works. And there's a reason why this song exists. The reason this song exists is that God's people were tempted and prone to say, you know what? This trust in God stuff seems silly. I'd rather have somebody big and strong. I'd rather have somebody now that we can touch and feel and see. Why don't we not trust in God, but rather pin our hopes on this king of Babylon? He looks like... Man, he looks like the ultimate warrior. <laughs> and my little brothers-in-law used to fight over who could be the ultimate warrior. <laughs> and man, we still got it, every single one of us and you and me. They were tempted. And they were tried to pin their hopes and their rescue on the king of Babylon. So God is showing them in advance what's going to happen to this particular earthly king, and it is dramatic. It is a monumental collapse. When I look at this guy, man, oh, I had some words for him that I don't know that I can say in the pulpit. Darth Belshazzar, <laughs> you know. I, that's who people think that he, that he is. Listen, he, he, he was, uh, let, me, let me get this right, so I may, I'm going to look down for a second. He was oppressive. He exploited people. He was a predator. He had fury and anger. He was wicked. He's striking people and subduing people in anger. He has unrestrained persecution. And so when he goes down in verses 4 through 8, the whole world sings joy to the world. <laughs> All tyrants meet the same fate. And in the movie The Wizard of Oz, I could only think, ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked witch is dead. And the whole town, the whole city celebrating the end of this evil one. But it's not just that. Look at what Sheol, the place of the world, the... the the place of the dead, the realm of the underworld, look at what's taking place there. When you talk about friends in low places, the king of Babylon has some friends in the lowest of places. As low as hell itself. And so when he goes down, not only does the earth rejoice, but hell throws a party. The underworld welcomes him. Because that's where he belongs. Those are his people. And so you got this gross picture at the end of verse 11. And I'm not going to go through it again, but maggots and worms and so forth and so on. You get the picture. So there's this happy celebration, but the ultimate point is it, and it is do not clean and do not trust in the king of Babylon, because his, 
His ship's going down. I flew to Washington, D.C. on Sunday afternoon and spent two and a half days in a preaching conference there. So it's always dangerous to come to church when the, when the guy's been in a preaching conference, all right? <laughs> but on the way up there, really nice Delta flight. My wife put all her points in so I could get first class. I've never flown in first class. Thank you, Tracy, <laughs> by the way. Man, I watched a movie. Dunkirk. Have any of y'all ever seen Dunkirk? Man, all these Allied troops are pinned in on the French shore. And Britain's trying to come up with a plan to get these guys out. The Nazis are, are surrounded them. And ultimately, they choose not to move in, which, which is another thing. You kind of need to read the history. But, but man, these guys are scrambling into the sea to try to escape. And the guys that is focused on, they go from boat to, to, this, to this huge warship, and they're all packed onto this huge warship like sardines, top and bottom, escaping, trying to get across the English Channel to safety. And, and, and just as they pull out, uh, the Nazis send a, a torpedo that, that, that hits the side of that, that ship, and, and the ship's going down. And man, these guys are scrambling to bail and get out because they know if they stay in this place, it's over. Well, I didn't get to finish the movie. I didn't get my earbuds in time, but I think the good guys ultimately win. <laughs> All right. But I say that because... If you have any thoughts or any hopes that the Babylon or any of the kings or things of Babylon are going to be your rescue and your meaning and your hope, then you better bail now. Which leads me to my third point, thankfully. So we have for all of us in verse 12 the beginning of a helpful warning. A helpful, this is a helpful warning. Now, in verse 12, you'll notice, and some of your Bible versions say this, does anybody have Lucifer in verse 12? Okay, there's folks in the back. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, you bright star, son of the dawn. We saw a shooting star this past week. It was amazing. Really bright and glorious, and then it's gone. The king of Babylon was like a a shooting star. And now he's fallen. What what happened? He's cut down. Look at verse 12. Man, he wants weakened nations. How powerful. But now he's just cut down. And here's why. Look at verse 13. Zero in on 13. You said in your heart. Now Psalm 14.1, I think it is, says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. You and I must come to grips with the fact that God knows every thought. He knows our hearts inside and out better than we know it ourselves. 
It's about the conversations he was having with himself in his heart of hearts. God judges the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. Look at the five I wills. I will ascend. I will raise. I will sit. I will ascend. I will make myself. Is this the devil himself? Now, in its immediate context, it is the king of Babylon. But he is a devilish creature. He has the features of Satan. He has the qualities of Satan. He has the mentality of Satan. He is a satanic pawn in the battle between the the darkness and the light. So this is a warning to you and me about our pride and our self-sufficiency and our own I wills. Because, come on, you're not going to just walk out to people and say, hey, I want to be God. You're not going to be so, you're not going to have the audacity to, you know, to, to walk up. You know, they, they, these, these are statements that are saying he wants to be worshipped and he wants to be God. Think uh, Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. That type, that type of mentality. But before you jump too quickly in judgment on people that you imagine that you know that are like this. And this is kind of where I cut to the chase with the warning to you and me. God, you may never come out and profess, I want to be God, or I want to be the greatest. But in your I wills, you may say things like, I have said before, I know, I know God says that in his word, but, but, but I will go my own way. I will live for me. I will choose what I want to choose. After all, it's, it's my life, isn't it? Sometimes our I wills are not statements of wanting to be great, but just wanting to be separate from anything to do with God. Saying that He doesn't exist, He doesn't matter. We know that God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. But before you start picturing somebody else in these I wills, including Satan Satan himself, every single one of us, the devil inside. There are Bible verses for that. So let me ask you about this. If you know God gives grace to the humble, how willing are you to embrace humility? Because humility means repentance. Humility means I was wrong. Humility means being prayerful and dependent and needy, weak and vulnerable, uncomfortable, transparent, broken, dying daily to self and taking up your cross and following Jesus. All of these go against our fallen, sinful, selfish nature. Because all of us have eye problems. (laughs) This is a helpful warning. I could spend more time here. If you want application, read James chapter 3. Because many of us boast, oh, I'm going to tomorrow do this. I'm going to tomorrow do that. Rather, James says, you should say, if the Lord 
will. So where I'm really taking this sermon in conclusion, and it may be about time for a conclusion, I'll bring you back in now, is there's really two wills here. There's your will and there's God's will. And when the chips fall, and it's fourth and goal, on the one-inch line, it's the ninth inning, and the bases are loaded, it's 3-2, and there's two outs. It really all boils down to there are two kingdoms and two loves. There's the will of God, and there's the will of man. And this chapter outlines where the will of man descends. And it also points to where the will of God is going. So my fourth point, if you're keeping up, is that this all brings a humiliating conclusion. A humiliating conclusion in which the king of Babylon, hey, do not read the newspapers for his obituary. Do not plan to go visit his friends and family. There will be no funeral. There will be no remembrance. There will be no burial. And that's interesting because the king's of this particular culture and day and time, man, look at what they found. The elaborate burials of the mighty of the earth. This guy has absolutely nothing. His name is cut off. His memory is cut off. This is a humiliating conclusion. But the story of the Bible involves a heavenly contrast. A heavenly contrast. Look in contrast to the king of Babylon, to King Jesus. If you were listening when Bill read Philippians 2, it's the very opposite trajectory. The king of Babylon, okay, let's, let's be, I'm, I'm going to wind up with this, all right? I've got, I've got a lot more, but I'm going to close with this. Miss Lucille Lipford taught me junior high math, geometry, that type of thing, whatever you call that stuff. And we trace parabolas. You can mark it on a board. Here's point A, here's point B, here's point C. If we were to go up to the chalkboard and map out the king of Babylon, here was a created being who tried to rise to godly power and ended with a humiliating conclusion. Compare and contrast the path or the parabola of Jesus. He starts high. He's the king of glory. He's on the Father's right hand. He's glorious, beautiful, majestic. And this king, instead of climbing up, does what? He comes down. He comes down. He comes down and he's born in a manger. He's born to a poor virgin girl. He he serves. He gives. He sacrifices. And then in crunch time, he says to his father... Not my will, but nevertheless, what? Your will be done. Your will. And having gone into the earth and taken upon himself the power of hell on our behalf as our sacrificial substitute, the Bible says God raises him up. He resurrects him. He exalts him. He is the heavenly contrast to all that is Babylonianism, all that is selfish and proud and opposed to God. 
Jesus puts on display the heart of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the service of God, the sacrifice of God, the holiness of God, and the glory of God. So here's my point. You better attach and cling to Jesus all that you possibly can because His path and His parabola, His direction is taking us up. It is in line with the will of God. Surrendered to the will of God. Obedient to the will of God. Humbled and submissive to the will of God. And take this chapter to heart. And here again. And there it is. Verse 1. Strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. That's attaching yourself to Christ, clinging to Christ. And throughout the New Testament, what you found was notorious sinners just clinging to Jesus by faith. And what we have in baptism is the public profession of someone clinging to Jesus by faith. And what do you do? You take them. We practice this in the, in the office. You put them down. And then you bring them back up. That's the trajectory of Jesus. He goes down. And he comes back up. Those who are unified in union by faith to Jesus... The only way to glory is through the cross. The only way to glory is through Jesus. The only way to glory is to die with Him and be raised up with Him. That is a complete contrast to this world system, and it's in complete contrast to the King of Babylon. It is complete contrast to the Lord of the King of Babylon, who was Satan himself. Let's close there. Father, thank you for our time together in your word. It's very humbling, but it's also very encouraging that you loved us enough to come down and serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And you raised him up from the dead. That was your predetermined plan that no one could frustrate, that no one could thwart, that no one could, could pull back your outstretched arm. And when we consider the outstretched arms of Christ on Calvary, oh, what... What wonderful grace and love and mercy to us through Jesus. No one can frustrate your plans. We're very often frustrated because we're not totally surrendered to your plan. Help us, Father, in that area as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Hey, here it is. Clinging and attaching yourself to Christ alone. You come as we sing.
God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till Lila and Luke if they would come forward at this time. We've already presented them for membership and as we do with everyone who's baptized here we have a certificate of baptism for Luke. Luke Coleman Reeves. I did not know your middle name. Why don't you stay here Luke because I'm going to ask them to. Uh, and then Lila Quinn Hersey. Alright. I learned something about you too. Your middle name's Quinn. How delightful we have to have these two children come forward today and to be baptized. What I want us to do is after we have our benediction, if you haven't had a chance to welcome them into our church family, please do so. Katrina, if you'll come stand with Lila and maybe Erica stand with Luke. That way when I leave them, they'll know what to do. Hey, services tonight, choir practice at 5, adult Bible study at 6, and I know youth and children at 6 as well. So you're welcome to come back this evening. Thank you all so much for being here today. Light Rock is also doing a chicken queue fundraiser yes. today, this afternoon for $10. Go, go to lunch there if you don't have plans because Pepper Jackson's got plenty of chicken. Chicken queue. And that all that money goes to the Flat Rock campgrounds. Um, let's sing uh, I'm So Glad I'm Family of God. 
We'll see y'all this evening. <laughs> 